What a great day to be alive. What a great day to be alive. Years ago, talking about young people, I had, uh, I saw on the schedule, I was in the office and uh, that, you know, I had some appointments, people were coming to see me, and one was a young Bible school student. And I got excited about that, because I thought, it's always been my heart, you know, to pour in and help, and he was seeking me out to, to spend time. And when he walked into the office, you can tell the attitude of people by the way they walk. <laughs> and I thought, oh boy. I'm not going to help him. He has actually come to help me. <laughs> because you remember, Jacob, it wasn't that long ago, you graduated from Bible school. When you graduated, you knew everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did too. Everybody was doing everything wrong. And it was our job to either in person tell them or behind their backs tell them, talk about what they're doing wrong. But <laughs> over the years, <laughs> you learn that it's not quite like that. I knew everything when I graduated from Bible school. I know hardly anything now. Uh, I, know, I know a few things that I'm very sure about, and I'll give my life for them, but uh, there's other things that it could be this, could be that, whatever. So anyways, he, this young guy had been in some of the services, <clears throat> and um, he'd taken notes. He knew more about the meetings than I did, and uh, he had trouble with just about everything. But he came to this one point, and I knew it was serious. He's sitting across the table, and he takes his glasses off and looks at me. I knew this was going to be the big one. He said, if I heard you correctly, you said you were binding the power of the devil. He said, did you actually say that? I said, yeah, I, I did, I did. He said, and then, like, it's going to get worse. You said you were releasing the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, did you say that? I, I said, yeah, I did. And then he asked me a question. Now, when people ask you a question, they've got to listen to an answer. <laughs> so the lecture was over. Because <laughs> he just done a lot of talking. And... Um, guess he's trying to help me. And um, he looked at me and he said, who do you think you are? <laughs> oh, I was so glad he asked me that. <laughs> well, I said, now, I'm going to tell you who I am. But it's going to sound like I'm boasting. So let me tell you who I used to be. According to scripture, in times past, I was not a person. I was a sinner on the way to hell. Anything I did didn't count for eternity in heaven. I said, that's who I was. I was a poor, weak, lost sinner. I said, now, the scriptures, I showed him in scripture, now I have become the people of God, that I might show forth his glory, who's called me out of darkness into glorious light. I am no longer a poor, weak sinner. I've been born into the kingdom. When you go to a doctor, the doctor many times will start with asking about your family history. Did your mother have this, cancer, heart, diabetes, whatever, your brother? So you answer the questions, but then you, you know, that's got nothing to do with me. That was my, that's my natural family. I was born into that family. You inherit whatever, but then I've been born again. And now I inherit from my heavenly father. So I have no expectation 
of diabetes, heart, cancer, anything that might be in the natural family because I'm not in that family. I'm in the spiritual family, the kingdom of God. I said, I said, you want to know who I am? I'm a royal priesthood. Like I've actually got royal blood flowing through my veins. I said, I am a chosen generation. The Bible talks about the fact that the day will come when there'll be a chosen generation that he decided would have the privilege of being alive for the last great move of God. We're part of that. Nothing, chosen generation, nothing to do with age. It's a decision. You decide. When they were going into the promised land, the majority of people from one generation decided they didn't want to go. It was good enough out in the wilderness. But there was those two men, Joshua and Caleb, that said, we've come too far. We've seen too much. We believe too long. We're not going back. We will not die in the wilderness with our generation. When they go in, we're going in, and we're going to inherit what God's promised. And they were the ones, when all the negative stuff came back, said, what are we talking about now? Let us now go, for our God is well able to give us the nation. God's raising up a chosen generation this hour that, well, everybody might be talking about all the stuff and the problems. They're rising up, and they said, well, God's bigger than all of that. Sunday morning, please don't get me excited. <laughs> like, please. So I, I said, I'm a, I'm a chosen generation. Well, I appreciate I'm a peculiar person. Well, yeah, he agreed with that. <laughs> See, the problem, and this is honestly my biggest concern in Canada right now, is that Christians are not reading the Bible. You're not going to do well if you're not into the word of God. Jesus talked to religious leaders in his day and told them, he rebuked them. He said, you're in error because you need to be balanced. Now, I've had people all my life tell me, brother, you need to be balanced. It means you dry up. But that's not what Je Jesus' idea of balance was knowing the scriptures and the power of God. The dilemma of many people that are born again, they see one group over here that are theologians, and, and they've got all the truth and all the doctrine, but it's, it's just knowledge, head knowledge. And then they see a group over here who doesn't know much about that, but they just are having a delightful time receiving and feeling the power of God. And they say, well, what group am I going to be part of? It's not either or. It's not either or. We have to know the scriptures. See, the Bible, the majority of prayers that we're praying are not being answered. And you can excuse it all you want. It's, the Bible says if you pray the prayer of faith, you'll get an answer. So it means that the prayers we're praying aren't prayers of faith. Well, then, see, people try to complicate this. You said this the other night. I was watching as you preached over in, in Surrey. You did really good. I got touched, blessed. And um, um, he said, Christians have complicated everything. Praying the prayer of faith is simply asking God to do what he promised. But if you don't read the Bible, you have no idea what he promised. So you're going to pick up this or that, what they think, what they th you can't base your life on what somebody else thinks or some theory or some, what somebody has preached. You have to know the word of God. You have to get it in you. You have to be a person of the word. And God will keep his promises. Let me tell you, if there's a picture of the church today in scripture, I see it with David going to watch his, uh, his brothers fight the Philistines. As I said, we've been to Israel about 50 times, and we're heading back in, in uh, April. And uh, I decided last August when we went that I wanted to go someplace we'd never gone, I'd never gone before because it's way out of the way. And it's where David faced Goliath. And I talked to some of my friends 
over there. And, you know, basically they said, well, there's really nothing there. You know, there's hills and a field and whatnot. But I wanted to go. So we drove what you drove. Uh, very aggressively, I must say. <laughs> Because you drive your car, you drive a car in Israel. You, if you're not aggressive, you're going to die. <laughs> you're nervous the first little while, then got to like it. Yeah. So we drove, we drove, for two hours, and um, get to this area and had no idea where it was. There's just nothing out there. But there was a little truck, a food truck. So I went there, and the guy gruffly asked me what I wanted. And I said, well, I'm looking for David. <laughs> uh-uh, he says in, in broken English. He says, oh, oh just over there. <laughs> he was over, was over there. Last time he saw him, <laughs> he said, <laughs> and he said, there's a, there's a lane there. So we go down this lane, and you go through this field, and it's, it's pretty rough. And, then, and we come to this little brook, and I heard that the brook was dried up, but it's still, the bed's still there. And there's another car there, another vehicle. And we get out, and we walk, and there's a tree, and there's a man sitting under the tree. And I didn't know what he was doing, and so I said, hi, hi. And um, here, he's, he's a driver. He'd driven two or three people that, with a guide up there, and they'd walked off somewhere. So I said, we're, we're just here looking for where David fought Goliath. Well, the guy came to life. He said, well, this is it. He said, this is the brook right here where he got the stones from. And he said, Philistines lived right over there on the coast, so they were up on these hills right here. And he said, David came from that direction, but what, 25 kilometers to Bethlehem. He came here, and he said the Israelis were... And he gave his whole picture. And, you know, of all the places I've been, the significant, this, this just something leaped to me. And so we spent some time there. We prayed there. And then we went to the brook. No water there, but the stones are still there. And started picking up some stones and um, taking them. And very precious because God used a stone from that brook. And a little guy. But the picture of the church today is David gets there to see his brothers fighting and they're not fighting. They're trained in fighting. They're equipped in fighting. They know how to fight. The Israeli army always has been the best. They're huddled in fear because of a spirit of intimidation that Goliath every morning and every night comes out and intimidates them, and he tells them who they are. We are the great Philistines. You're the army of Saul. It's not a good idea to end your day, the last thing you do, listening to the media, the news. And the first thing you do in the morning, listen to the news, because it's designed to intimidate you. And they believed it, and so they're huddled together, and they, they had focused so much on the giant, because how do you ignore the giant? They had studied the giant. They knew everything about the giant. They'd become giantologists. I mean, they, were, they knew how big his feet were. They knew how big his shield was, his sword was. They knew everything about him. They were experts. We've become experts on all the stuff out there. I mean, my goodness, you, you stand in the lobby of many churches that believe that God wants to heal, and you say, well, I said to say to a friend, I said to the doctor this week, and he said, I've got this. You'll have maybe three people coming, telling you what you should be taking. You know, you should take this, and my uncle had this, and he died, so good luck. And then, here, here's some stuff. Instead of just laying hands on them, and believing God for it. And so they were spending their time I don't think they're praying, whining to God about what the devil's doing. And the church in Canada has been under a spirit of intimidation and saying, why doesn't God do something? Because God can't do anything because he's given us the keys. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Well, excuse me, the gates of hell are prevailing against the church because he didn't stop there. He said, I give you the keys. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. That's why we can, that's why we can bind the power of the devil and loose the power of the Holy Ghost. Whatever. 
And David comes and says, there's something wrong with this picture. We've let the government tell us who we are. Now, we pray for our prime minister and his family. And I've had the opportunity to speak to him on a few occasions. And I never discuss politics with politicians. Never. I've been, I've been in Ottawa now for 50 years. And we, you know, we have lots of opportunities. I never talk about politics, which gives us access to be able to, you know, whatever party, whatever person, they need prayer, they can call. Because we talk, I talked to, I talked to Justin Trudeau about his family, about his kids, about the price you pay when you go into political life. It may surprise you, but I don't agree with really anything he's done. I agree with one thing he said. He's been fairly vocal about it. That we, evangelical, especially charismatic Christians, are the problem in our nation. He said that. He said, you're extreme and you're radical and you're dangerous. I agree. I actually, I actually take that as a compliment. <laughs> well, we, we, we're going to try. <laughs> We've let the government tell us who we are. We've let the media tell us who we are. They were letting Goliath tell them who they were. We're the great Philistines. You're the army of Saul. We're bigger. We're greater. We're stronger. You don't have a chance. And they believed it. David said, oh, no, 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 no. There's something wrong here. He runs out. He runs out to the giant. And he did not talk to God about the giant. He talked to the giant about God. He didn't tell God how big the giant was. He decreed, our God is big. And he said, you will not define us. You will not tell us who we are. I will tell you. You are not the great Philistines. Now, for this is coming from a good Jewish boy. It's about as nasty as you can get. You are filthy, uncircumcised Philistines. And we are not the army of Saul. We are the army of the living God, and this day, this day, you're going down. Somebody, somebody needs to dig in their heels. Somebody needs to say, enough is enough. If the church doesn't become the church in Canada, it's over. The reason we went right across Canada was after I preached from Rodney Howard Brown's platform and Daystar carried it right across Canada. I heard from so many preachers that I'd never met before. I said, we'd given up. We'd given up on Canada. We'd given up on everything until we heard that message. You give us some hope. Like, if our message isn't a message of hope, then what is it? What is it? So he said, this day you're going down. This day you're going down. And he did. He did. It's time that we come into authority and recognize actually who we are. Some of the greatest teaching Jesus did is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. I'm doing it from the Amplified, so it get loud, so be careful. Because um, <laughs> a lot of people are so confused. There are actually some Christians that think God makes them sick, God gives them pain, God brings tragedy and problems and the fact is God can take the worst and turn it the best God can take you know burnt out pile of nothing and turn it into beauty but he didn't cause it he says in John 10 10 the thief comes only in order that he may steal may kill and may destroy but I came that they may have and enjoy life well look at that Jesus said like, we're not talking about heaven. We're talking about here. Yeah. I've come now that you might enjoy life. Yeah. Religious people don't really enjoy life. 
I mean, some of the most negative, unhappy people I know are Christians. There's one couple that, you know, we were connected with, and <laughs> so I told him one time, you have a gift. We were in a very beautiful place, and I thought, they won't find anything to complain about. I was wrong. They found stuff. I said, you have a gift. You can, you can find something to complain about wherever. And they, they took that as a compliment. <laughs> they were happy not being happy. And so religious people, you know, who are just getting through this, enduring this, and think, well, when we get to heaven, it's going to be good. They've never understood scripture. They don't know the scripture. Life begins when you come to Christ. The benefits of the kingdom are for here and now. I, like, I'm looking forward to heaven. I mean, I'm, I'm actually excited about dying. But not now. And, and, and if, if, I have no plans, but if anything happened, if I just crumpled in a heap here and died, some of you, well, you, you would not. Do you hear what he said? Young Kevin says, oh, we'd raise you up. What? <laughs> this man, <laughs> this man is under orders. Don't let anybody get near me. <laughs> like, now listen, I like it here. You're nice, but think about it. I just get there. I go through these gates. I'm standing on gold streets. I, there's my mom and my dad. There's all my friends. There's Jesus, and you suck me back. <laughs> and I'm supposed to say, oh, thank you so much for getting me out of that. Like Smith Wigglesworth did that to his wife, and wasn't a good idea. She was very angry at him. So I, I, I'm looking forward to heaven. I, you know. We did so many trips in Russia, the top of Russia, for, you know, ministering to the last nomadic group of Eskimos in the world. So we got rented these old tanks that go anywhere, and you ride in the back of the tanks. My last trip, my wife did 46 hours in the back of one of these tanks to get to a village, never heard Jesus, and God bless her. We stay with them in their reindeer skin tents, and it's, uh, <laughs> well, this is how to treat your wife, folks. January, took her to Russia, Arctic Russia. We're staying out with one of these lovely families. They're so precious. And uh, um, the temperature was about 30, 35 below. So was, for January, that's pretty good. No mosquitoes, don't need sunscreen. <laughs> but it dropped during the night while we're in the tent. It dropped between 50 and 60 below. The, that's when the air actually freezes. You know, the air actually freezes. You have whiteouts. You, you, can't, you can't see anything. I mean, it, and, um, and the closest toilet is like 200 kilometers away. <laughs> and apparently, according to my wife, it's a little more complicated with women than it is with men. I don't know. <laughs> so we, we, we are people of the word, so we all have scriptures for everything. Our scripture for that trip was, what you do, do quickly. And, uh, but, but pe people said, I mean, th these trips were extremely dangerous. And we had so many near, near calls. But one, I think it was the last tank trip I did. We're traveling along. I've got my two sons with me. First time, uh, both of them had been with me. I have an evangelist friend, Chuck Price and one of our staff members. We're all in the back of this tank, and our Russian workers are in another tank. We always travel in more than one tank. And all of a sudden, our tank stopped, and we were on a real slope. And the only window was just a little wee window up top. And somebody said, we're under the water. Like, you could see the water up there in this slushy, cold, icy water started seeping into the back of the tank. And 
you know, I've said, my, some of my friends said, why do you do this? I mean, like, don't you know it's dangerous? And I would really quickly say, I would rather die doing what God told me to do than staying home saying it's too dangerous. But now I'm sitting in the back of a tank thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's different. It's really different. <laughs> like, like, okay, I know what I said, but really now? I didn't see it coming this way, but... But you know what? I mean, there was no fear. I, I was kind of excited, but uh, I thought, <laughs> I feel bad for the family. I mean, me and my two sons, <laughs> we'd be fine, but we, we got, you know, so I just started thinking about all there was to do. And uh, I'll break the suspense. We didn't die. But um, <laughs> it, anyway, it's, it's, it's different. It's really different. The thief comes only in order that he may steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have an enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy this life. He's made all this to rest and enjoy. And I don't know whether you know it or not, I am enjoying life. I love life. I'm having the time of my life. I'm living the dream and uh, get to do what I do. It's, it's the best. It's the best. I get up every morning so excited. And I don't put the news on when I get up. Do you know what I do? First thing I do, <laughs> this is so unspiritual, maybe to some, I put my, a song on. Before I go into worship, I put a song on. It's an old black singer, Louis Armstrong, singing What a Wonderful World. I start my day with that. And I talk to him. He's gone, but I, I talk to him. You're right, you're right, Louis. It's a wonderful world. Because everybody's telling me how terrible it is. Well, it is, and it's wonderful. We actually got to see mountains yesterday. You've been here, what, two or three days, never seen a mountain. And then all of a sudden, they appeared. <laughs> it was cloudy, it was foggy, it was rainy, but wow. You get to see this all the time when it's not foggy and cloudy and rainy. So that was, <laughs> that was yesterday. <laughs> and, and wow, wow, just we enjoy it. Enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The plan is that we will be so blessed that we can't contain it. It just spills over. Because, you know, when negative, crabby believers say to people they work with or neighbors or friends, huh, supposed to invite somebody to church. You want to come to church with me? They say, no. No, no, no. I've got enough problems now. I don't, I don't, I don't Like what we have should be contagious. Like people ask him, what are you on? Like we want some of it. I mean, our first trip across Canada, we're in St. John, New Brunswick. It's like before six o'clock in the morning. Well, we got up at 4.30, but we're going to bring through security, maybe 5.30, 6 o'clock. And, you know, everybody's wearing masks then. And uh, nobody's talking because it's early, nobody's awake. And so I go through security, and then I hear behind me, Hi, how are you doing? Isn't this a great day? You're doing a great job. And I look at this little Mr. Sunshine here. <laughs> and, and he wasn't just doing that. He does it. All the time, everywhere. I've traveled with crabby people. I like this better. <laughs> so where does sickness come from? Where does poverty come from? What do problems come from? If it steals, kills, and destroys, it doesn't come from God. That's it. That's the answer. Sickness steals, kills, and destroys. It doesn't come from God. That's we wrote the book, To Hell with Sickness. We got to get back to being Book of Acts people. The book of Acts, they were on fire. They had no lack. They lived, miracles were normal. I mean, miracles were normal. They just, uh, the preachers were transported. Oh, that would be so good. I'm waiting for that. <sighs> Whole cities were transformed. People were having major encounters with Holy Spirit. And they kept having upper room experiences. And now we've settled. But there's the people, young and old, they're saying we can't settle anymore. There's more. 
There's more, and we're going after it. We're going after it. We're going to have more encounters, more encounters. So I thought we'd just gather together this morning before I pray for you. And um, I'm not going to go long because, you know, around noon or so, Jacob gets very hungry. <laughs> and, and then he moves from that to being hangry or hung, hang, yep. hangry. And uh, <laughs> any people from Newfoundland here? Hangry. <laughs> And um, so we're, I'm going to be sensitive to that. So. But I thought it'd be good to do something together. If you had, a, if you get a letter from a lawyer saying, Uncle Harry died and left you a million dollars, you didn't even know you had an Uncle Harry. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you really like him. Oh, Uncle Harry, oh, he's gone. <laughs> and then, you don't get it? Do you sit back and say, oh, well, it would have been nice. No! You get a copy of the will, and if needs be, go to court. And say, I'm not here begging, I'm not here asking for... Uncle Harry said that this is my inheritance... And I'm here for my money. Suppose the lady, ladies, suppose you're married to a billionaire. Hmm. Some ladies are smiling. <laughs> and, and you've got everything. You've got the mansion, you've got the servants, you've got the cars, you've got the planes, you've got the yachts, you've got everything. And then he dies. Yay. No, I mean, he dies. But you know nothing about the business. You know nothing about the finances. And all of a sudden, there's no money. But you find out a lawyer's office is handling the estate. And so you, you don't know anything. So you go over trying to get a little bit of it. Like, I'm not here for asking much, but my kids need new shoes. My, we need some fruit. I don't have any money. Can you just give me a little bit and maybe take their kids and maybe do what they do in some other countries, third world countries. They'll go out in the street with their little babies and pinch them so they cry because they think you'll give more money to them if their babies are crying. And, and I mean, I've seen so many people at altars coming for healing, coming for having their needs met, crying and begging and saying, I don't, I, I don't want much, but I just want a little bit. I've talked to so many people that said, you know, they had problems all over their body, but if, if, if God could just touch my hand, I, I, I'm not asking him for everything, just if he could just touch my hand, that would help me to do what I need to do. Because they don't understand it. But suppose that lady going through paperwork finds a copy of the will and finds out that everything he had now belongs to her. She would take that will walk into the lawyer's office now with an attitude of a rich woman saying, I am here for my money. You have no right to hold it back. I'm not asking for a little bit. I'm asking for all of it because it's mine. I'm not begging. I'm not, I'm not trying to get sympathy. I mean, this is my inheritance. So I thought it'd be good this morning since we're talking about kingdom to do a little reading of the will. Because we've got a copy of the will. Yeah. Old and new covenant. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable. If you're only reading the New Testament, you're missing. Yeah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable. It's one complete love story. And you can find Jesus in every part of the Bible, in every story of the Bible. And so, we don't have to guess. We don't have to beg. Like, if you go to the store and buy your groceries, and they put in bags, and you probably take your own bags, or else they'll charge you for them, and, which I struggle with, but that's another thing. Uh, and you leave half of the groceries there. And you're leaving, and the cashier says, excuse me, rest your... No, no, it's fine. I can get along with these. No, no, but you paid for them. No, it's, it's fine. Just 
this is enough. You would not get the award of the smartest person in this area. People don't do that. They may, you see more and more, with the prices going up, you see more and more people looking at you know, a few bags they've got and the price they paid, making sure, making sure they got everything they paid for. What we're talking about has been paid in full. You're bought with a price. He paid the price. We couldn't pay. And so, we have a copy of the will here. The greatest thing Jesus left, first thing. I mean, can you imagine the disciples? They left everything to follow Jesus. And we always do what they did. You, you figure out how he's going to do something. They knew he was going to set up their kingdom, but they thought it meant right there now in Jerusalem and get rid of the Romans. And so, you know, it was going really well, and then it didn't go so well. And then the day came, he entered Jerusalem. And it's like the whole world. And I'm sure the disciples thought, this is it. This is it. We're going we're to move on up here. We're going to set up the kingdom, Romans out. Because it was an ungodly government. It was awful. And um, a week later, they watched them kill him. And then there's rumors that he's alive, but many hadn't seen him yet. How confusing that would be. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, okay, we saw him do this, but, yeah, and now we watch, we know he's dead. And so, did we waste our time? I mean, questions, I mean, questions and confusion. And then they're in a room, because they think if they killed him, they're probably going to come and kill us, which was the plan. So they're in a room, the door is shut and probably locked, trying to keep everybody out. And some of you have done that. You've locked yourself away, but let me tell you, you can't keep Jesus out. He walked right through the wall and said, hi, I'm back. Thomas, come on. You want to see? Come on. And he said, I've got something I want to leave you. This is your inheritance. In a world of turmoil with confusion and questions and hurting and wondering, he said, I'm giving you peace. If we could understand that peace is part of our inheritance, he left it in the will for us, we claim it. People say, well, you know, people, a lot of people have moved from Ontario out here because if I move out here, I'll have peace. At the same time, <laughs> same time people out here are moving to Ontario because maybe I'll have peace. Huh. Peace doesn't come with location. If I have a bigger house, I'll have peace. Some of the most tormented people I know live in mansions. Well, if I get a new job, if I get a promotion, if I do this, I do that, I love peace. Peace is not coming through that. Peace is a person. The only peace that really works is Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. His name is peace. And he said, this is what I'm giving you. So this means we can claim and expect to have peace no matter what we're going through. Let all hell break out. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, Jacob talked last night, churches being built, the church that we built, the building we built 50 years ago almost in, in Cape Dorset set on fire. Then the Anglican church set on fire. Only one more church left and they tried to set that on fire. And, uh, but it's all steel, it didn't work. And then uh, finally they catch the guy lighting these churches on fire. 16-year-old kid. Our ministry has an assignment to see this young man saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and become an evangelist to his community. <laughs> I, just, I just thought Paul was pretty bad and turned out pretty good. <laughs> but when he heard about this, the, the, you didn't have turmoil. You had peace. You laughed. I said, come on. Because <laughs> we're warriors and we're designed for war. The enemy wants, come, come on, come on. And he says, is that all he's got? Yeah. Trying to burn a building when we're seeing lives changed and, and suicide stop? I mean, come on. So peace. You're part of this family. You're part of the kingdom. It's amazing. It's amazing. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's, but we do, we do eat. <laughs> and some people eat and Gluten-free bread, I, whatever, whatever works. 
He said, this is what the kingdom of God is. If you're part of the kingdom, it's peace. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Some people actually, somebody said, what do you think of laughing in church? I like it. I've been in churches where everybody's grumping and complaining. I don't like that. I like happy people. You get enough of Jesus, you get, you get, you get happy. You get happy. He wants to fill you overflowing in every part of your life. But he, uh, I just want to, before we finish, want to just look at uh, Psalm 103 for a minute. Because David, David is so good. I love David. He's so honest. You read through the Psalms. He had some good days and bad days. You knew when he's having a bad day. He's so honest with God. But he's now he's talking to his soul. And uh, he said, what's wrong with you? He's speaking to himself. Sometimes we have to talk to ourselves. And uh, don't argue with yourself, but he said, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Come on, soul. Bless him. We are into this mindset, how can God bless me? Come to church, how can God bless me? You know, when we pray, how can God bless me? David said, you know, I brought, I brought a lot of heartache to God. I, I want that to stop. I now want to bring joy to God. I, I, I want to bless God. Isn't, that, to me, is overwhelming. All of us have done stuff that have broken the heart of God, that have grieved God, that have done stuff that broke in his heart, because sin does that. Nobody sins and gets away with it. When you sin, it hurts you. You can cover it up with all kinds of stuff, but it hurts you, and it hurts a lot of other people. Nobody's an island, but sin hurts God. But God is so much different than we are. When Adam and Eve sit after God blessed him and gave them everything, he says, I can't stop loving you. I still love you, so I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send somebody to fix this. So many are living under the curse still. The curse brought sickness and poverty and death. Jesus said, I've come to remove the curse. And he did. And when he cried, it's finished, it's finished. So David said, I want to bless God. I want to make God happy today. That has to be our assignment. At the end of the day, when we lay our head on the pillow, God, I just want you to be pleased. Other people can say, oh, you didn't do what you should do. You could have done this, and you could have been there. and you could." All you have to know is you please God today. The word's well done. That's it. That's the success. It's not about anything else. It's a success. And then he says, let's, let's think of the benefits. So many people, their testimony is all the negative stuff. Well, tell, give me your testimony. Well, I don't do this anymore, and I don't do that anymore, and I don't do this anymore, and I don't do that anymore, and um, I don't go there, and I don't go there. And so unsaved people say, well, what, what do you do? <laughs> oh, well, I go to church. <laughs> oh, we. Oui. Because they, they haven't been here. They don't know churches like this. Like the church I brought up in, it was like a funeral every Sunday. <laughs> Seriously. And, and, and so that's their idea of church. But we're kingdom people. And David said, when you come into the kingdom, there are some benefits. And so this is, this is part of our, the will. You know, people say, well, God, if it's your will, well, read the will. You can't pray the prayer of faith if you don't know what his will is. If you're not sure God wants to heal, you're not sure God wants to answer prayer, you're not sure that God wants your unsaved people saved, then then you're never going to pray the prayer of faith. So read the will. And the first one is, this is, David said, this is a benefit of benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. Oh, boy, if that, if, that, if that was it, that's enough. That's, an, I mean, that's a big one. The devil says, well, yeah, you said that. Yeah, he forgave it. He forgave it. When your testimony is about what you used to do as a sinner, 
God doesn't even know what you're talking about. All-knowing God doesn't know what you're talking about because the Bible says when you repent of your sin, and sin has to be repented, and that means I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm turning around going another direction. When you repent of your sin, God says it's done. Forget the things that are in the past. Let's look forward to the future. We can't change our past, but oh, we choose our future. And for the kingdom people, it's the future is so good. It's just we are going from glory to glory. It's getting better and better and better. And you say, well, what are you looking at? I'm not looking at the world. I'm not listening to what the government's telling me or the media's telling me because it's going to get worse out there. If we're not people of the word and kingdom people, it's going to be really rough. But not for us. He deals differently with his people. Read, read about Egypt. I talked about that the other night. Yet not only does he forgive all our iniquities, he heals some of our diseases. Once in a while, he... Oh, excuse me. Let's see. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm reading the will. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a benefit. All is benefit. These are benefits. He heals each one of your diseases. All of them. So that, you know, somebody says, have you ever seen somebody healed of this? Now that. My answer is I probably have. You know, over, over 51 years of healing ministry, we've seen thousands of people healed. And, and like we're hearing testimonies to, now from people that were healed 40 years ago. It's phenomenal. I mean, and we're get, I, every week we're getting these stories from people saying, I, you know, I should have told you, <laughs> but I just felt I needed to share. And they tell us about their healing, about their miracle, and what it did in their family, because it's not just physical. God wants people whole, body, soul, spirit. So I think, wow. Because the, the question, have you ever seen someone, anybody healed of this, implies if you haven't, maybe you can't. Let me tell you, God can heal COVID. He can heal Alzheimer's. He can heal, I mean, he can heal any, anything, anything. Uh, there's nothing. There's no, there, there's absolutely nothing that he cannot do. So rather than making long lists, because the, gov- they, the doctors keep coming up with new words, some people come, say, doctor just told me I had this. I think they're speaking in tongues. The names of conditions today are ridiculous. And it doesn't matter. He heals all. He heals all. Doesn't matter what you have, what happened to this relative, that relative, he heals all. And he redeems your life from destruction. Isn't that wonderful? That's a, that's a good benefit. And he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Like, this sounds really nice. He wants to be nice. God is not an angry God. That's the picture they had. They knew he was just and they were holy, and he is, but they had this picture that he was going to pounce on them. If they made a mistake, they had to go through all these rules. And God said, they've got to know what I'm like. They've got to see my heart. That's why Jesus came. You want to know what God's like? Read everything about Jesus. God came in the flesh, lived here, so we could know he's not an angry God. He's a full of compassion. He's a God who has no limits. And he wants to do, and he satisfies your mouth with good things. We talked about this. So many Christians, so many leaders now, so many pastors. Well, I just have to have a drink of this. I have to have a shot of this. I have to have this. You know, it helps me. It, um, you know, I have to go once in a while and, you know, outside of my marriage and have some, I mean, seriously. One of my friends... I don't know whether I should tell this or not, but um, one of my friends was doing a program, television program on the study of the book of Revelation and um, invited a ver- as pastor of a mega church in America to come with him and to be on his program to, you know, have some input. And partway through their taping through the week, 
my friend said to him, you haven't said anything. Like I flew over here to help him. He said, I've got nothing to say. I've never read the book of Revelation. This is a pastor of a mega church estates. It was later that year he was found dead in a hotel room in New York overdosing on drugs. Didn't have to happen. He chose to try to find stuff that would satisfy him. And I don't care whether it's alcohol, sex, or, or drugs, or anything else, pornography, none of that will ever satisfy you, and none of that will make you free. It will make you a prisoner, and it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. You'll have to have more and more, and it ends up, you say, I can control it. It ends up controlling you, and I've seen it, and I've seen so many lives destroyed. It seems that in this hour, the in thing is, let's see how much I can do and still get to heaven. And so you hear people say, and I've heard leader, Christian leaders say, well, I can do this and still be saved. I can do a bit of this and still get to heaven. And they probably can. But wouldn't it be something if rather than to see how close we can get to the world without falling off into hell, wouldn't it be something if we said, let's see how close we can get to Jesus. What if we all got so close to Jesus that our lives were Jesus, we talked Jesus, we sung Jesus, we're obsessed with Jesus because I read the will and it says he will satisfy me. And if you're not satisfied, if you're frustrated in every area, if you need to have some more Jesus. Because he satisfies your mouth with good things. I was at a meeting, it was Mount Sinai camp years ago, and I don't know what happened. I ended up laying over there in the platform. It happens. And um, I don't know, it just was out. And when I came around, it felt like I had been eating the most precious grapes. I had like grapes in my mouth. There's nothing there, but it tasted like grapes. And I thought, this is, I'm in the promised land here. <laughs> I mean, these are grapes from the promised land. They're heavenly. And it was like God saying, you're, you're here. He's, he's, this will satisfy you. But, you know, like we, we could, uh, the will is pretty extensive. But let me just give you the, the last one that he talks about here that I'm going to mention because it's one of my favorites. This is in the will. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, at my age, you got to expect your youth is renewed like eagles. But you know, my mother had it and my father had it and my grandmother had it. So. Your youth is renewed like eagles. A lot of people have faith to believe for bad things. It's amazing. Oh, it's going around, you know, and I was with so-and-so. They got it, so I'm going to get it. Well, that's, that's faith. <laughs> they watch for symptoms. Oh, you sneeze, you got it. <laughs> what if we expected, you know, well, at my age, you can't do much, you know. Like, if Moses could, what he did, like, he really started out at 80. Everything else was preparation. I'm just getting ready to start. <laughs> like, I, like, you know, once in a while, once in a while, you'll, you'll have an attack. Everybody does. And, and, the thing is, many times we accept it. Oh, well, I knew. I was going to. But I read the will. Excuse me. My inheritance is that my youth is renewed and he heals everything. So I say, well, no, you have no right here. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
If, my, if, my, if every fiber of my being is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for anything else. So I'm not where I want to be, but I'm moving there. I want more. I want more of God. I'm obsessed with having more of God. I want to be closer to the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something. I fully expect every morning when I get up to feel good and young. Gwen and I phoned John Arnott three years ago on his 80th birthday. His birthday is Christmas Day. My wife's birthday is Christmas Day. I mean, how much like Jesus can you get? I know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but we celebrate. So we phoned John. He sees the name. So this is how he answers the phone. Bill. I'm 80. That was how he answered the phone. And I said, because I, I kid him, I said, you, you inspire us young evangelists. And he doesn't like that. I said, how does it feel? Feels like 35. I said, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Several years ago, I got a call from the office in Ottawa just before I was heading in, and Vanda, my executive uh, assistant, said, um, there's a gentleman coming to town tonight. He wants to have dinner with you. Well, you know, you get lots of calls. And I said, well, who is he? Otis Clark. I said, never heard of him. Well, he wants to meet you. I said, well, I don't know him. He's, I said, well, who is he? He's the oldest living, traveling evangelist in the world. Really? I said, how old is he? He's 108. To which I said, Vanda, <laughs> because you get some weird calls. We had a young guy that did our phone because he couldn't do anything else, but he knew how to love. So we put him on the phone and reception at the front. They just loved everybody. He was so that partners loved him. They'd call just to talk to him. He was just, so his name was Jacob, but not this Jacob. <laughs> Got a call one day. Hi, Bill Prankett's office. This is Jacob. How can I help you? And the call said, hi, this is Jesus. Most people would have hung up. He said, oh, hi, Jesus. How you doing? And he actually talks to him. And then as he's trained to do, he says, can I pray for you? And Jesus said, no, I'm Jesus. Oh, yeah, right, I forgot. So you get some calls. So I said, Vander, come on. That, that's not. So time I get in the office, she said, come here, sit down. She showed me a video from Kenneth Copeland's ministry. Showed me a video, it's I think still on the website from 700 Club Ministry, about Otis Clark when he was young, 103. They did a whole thing about it. He went to Africa to preach at 103. And it went well, so he went back 104. So, and I said, well, it doesn't, like, I've never met anybody that old. So I, I said, like, we need to check this out. She said, well, he's preached at Toronto Airport. So I called them. Oh, yeah, he's been here, yeah. And he traveled with what he called his daughter and granddaughter. They weren't really related, but they traveled with him and took care of things and that. And, and um, so they said, yeah, it was pretty good. He was filled with the Holy Spirit um, in Azusa Street in the 1920s. And he... he he was in the meetings. William Seymour was gone, but his wife was there, and he ended up holding the deed for the building, traveling with some of the leaders. I mean, this guy had stories, so now I want to meet him. And so it was amazing. 108 years old, dressed, dressed like, I mean, just three-piece suit, shirt tie, stood up straight. And um, he comes, this is, I think it was December. In Ottawa in December, we have ice and snow. And his daughter said, no, we don't help him. Well, I'm helping him, because if he falls and breaks something and dies, everybody else is going to be mad at me. You killed him. <laughs> so I'm almost carrying him, you know. But we go out for dinner, the guy eats. Then on the way out, oh, I, we eat a meal, and then... I said, do you want some dessert? Oh, no, no, I'm full. I said, um, how about some ice cream? He said, oh. <laughs> so got a nice ice cream. He woofed it all down. On the way out, gets a toothpick. Says, they're all mine. 
no medication, wow. no glasses, the stories this man had. So I invited him back to preach in September. Last time I saw him was at Kenneth Copeland's conference. And Kenneth, you know, loved him and, and she, they knew each other. And so we talked about him coming. He said, I'm really looking forward to it. I, in the June of that year, I get a call from his daughter saying, Dad's gone. Well, where's he gone now? Because <laughs> he, he told me for his 109th birthday, he just turned 109, that uh, he was going to the Caribbean for a holiday. Well, I think, you know, every 109 years, you should have a break. So, <laughs> so he did that. And then, so I said, where's he gone? No, no, Bill, he's gone. I said, well, yes, where? She said, he died. I said, really? She said, he went way before his time. <laughs> I said, he was 109. I know, but he had so much to do. So much to do. Anyway, he didn't die sick. Got up that morning, had breakfast, always made his own breakfast, fried eggs, whatever. And, and um, he then said to them, I'm at war. There's a war. And in the afternoon, he laid on the couch in the living room. And when they went in, he was gone. So then after that, I'm preaching at Toronto. And John Arnest in the front row. And I said, you know, some of my friends are saying, now he's gone. You're the oldest living evangelist. But I said, my wife says, no, John Arnett is. So it was the funniest thing, because John really didn't like that. So he drives me back to the hotel. We're sitting outside the hotel. He said, I'm not the oldest. I said, well, who's older than you? They're still traveling. And well, he started naming people. Everyone he named were dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess they're gone. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> now, Kenneth is about the only one. Kenneth's 86, right? Kenneth Copeland still just preaching Reading. I mean, just amazing. Um, but <laughs> you don't have to expect. You don't have to expect sickness. Now, am I saying that if you're sick that you've sinned? No, no, no. But I'm saying, declare war on this and say, no, we have to get an attitude about this. We say, like, he paid too much. He paid everything so that I, I can have all this. This is in the will. This isn't something I have to beg. You say, I don't deserve it. Well, I didn't, we didn't deserve that million from Uncle Harry. We did nothing to inherit that. He just decided. God loves us and decided. That he would give us this inheritance. And all we have to do is walk in the kingdom and let the kingdom come into us. And we start living in abundance in every area. That means, you know, somebody says, will you pray for me? I don't know, you know, I don't know whether it's God's will for my business to go bankrupt. Well, it isn't. Read the will. He wants you to prosper. In all things. That's actually Bible. And be in health, even as your soul. He wants everything. He wants, he's got it all. So when attack comes in any area, we either accept it or we say, oh, no. Oh, no. Mm -mm. It's paid for. And we declare war. You say, well, I did that. didn't work. Ask George Bush Jr. When you declare war against a nation... You can't change your mind and say, oh, whoops, didn't mean it. Sorry about those bombs. You fight until you win. And my friend, the battle we're in right now is not over till we win. There are things that my wife and I have prayed for every day, believing for every day, because we know they're paid for. We have not yet seen the manifestation but we thank God it's coming. And we have notified him. We will never stop knocking. When Jesus taught about prayer, he said, keep asking till you receive. Keep seeking till you find. Keep knocking till it's open. You don't just ask once and say, well, I've left it with God. You get aggressive and you go after it. So, Father, thank you for the kingdom. Thank you for the will. Thank you for our inheritance. Thank you. For the blessings you have for us. And now I want you to do something. Every person, would you take your hand and put on your forehead, please? 
Bible says lay hands on the sick, the sick recover. I'm speaking healing to your body, but we are being transformed. Unless we're transformed, we will never transform our community or nation. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We will no longer think like the world, talk like the world, act or react like the world, renew our mind. So our mind is so filled with your word that we think like you. We agree with your word. Our declaration, our words, our life and blessing, not cursing and death. Renew our minds so we talk different, so we walk different, so we act different and react different. We are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Today marks the beginning of some really wonderful things. God, thank you for doing what you did so we can have what we have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Pastor, Kevin, somebody. God bless you. Come on. Wow. Thank you.